the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 37 of Magic Markets, and it's going to be a really interesting show tonight, although I know we say that a lot, but this one I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, we bravely have Siabulelo Nomoyi from Satrix, who has joined us uh, to discuss that ESG fund that I had a bit of a rant about a couple of weeks ago. And uh, on a serious note, I think it says a lot um, that uh, he's given up his Tuesday night to come and chat to us, so nothing but admiration there. Um, I can hand on heart tell you Satrix is not paying for this. This is something that he's agreed to come on and, and chat to us and face some tough questions. Uh, there's absolutely no brand sponsorship here. This is just a really cool way for us to access the market, I suppose, and, and open it up to our listeners as well. Mo, that's what we're all about while you sit in your closet in Canada, isn't it? Yes, Ghost. I mean, uh, again, Sia, thanks so much for, for taking the time out, uh, meeting the rather strange uh, working times that Ghost and I have put together. So giving up your evening really means quite a bit. It's also important because, you know, I think we, we owe this to our listeners in that, you know, we, we always say we want to scratch beneath the surface. And that's quite important, especially with something as important as, as what I think this, this inclusion and diversity uh, space entails. So super excited about today's chat and uh, welcome to Magic Markets. Thanks, guys, for having me. I'm quite excited to engage you guys on this topic. Um, and thanks for, for the invite. I mean, it's, a, it's exciting that we have the product and also this, this is, a, is a nice platform to also have a, um, a chance to actually educate the, 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 the everyday listener as well on this product. So thank you for, for inviting me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. See, I think for the benefit of our listeners and also because you've got a really interesting backstory um, that is unrelated to our Spinbok captain who had a pretty good weekend. Um, <laughs> perhaps you could just share uh, a little bit about yourself. Obviously not like a very long story, but just the basics of who you are, where you've come from, uh, how long you've been at Satrix, that kind of stuff. Sure. So um, not, not very far off from, from, from where the, the, the rugby CI is coming from. So I'm, I'm, I'm also from the, from the Eastern Cape in Grahamstown. Um, in, in, so that's quite close to, to Port Elizabeth as well. I moved to Cape Town in um, 2010 after doing my honours at Rhodes University. So I moved to Cape Town and then uh, went to study at, at UCT. And I did my MPhil in Mets of uh, Finance there. And then I moved on to the um, finance industry where I worked for um, a company which in the old days had uh, had money market side and also a smart beta side. Um, I stayed there for five years and then I moved on to, uh, to join a, a listed company where um, we were doing index tracking and then eventually I joined Citrix um, in 2019. So yeah, so that's my background in terms of, of where I am in terms of careers. So Sia, in the interest of diversity, um, I see you slipped back into that old Port Elizabeth name that we all have to get used to not using anymore. <laughs> it takes a while to get yeah. used to it, doesn't it? Yeah, um, it's it's the same as, as Gramson. Gramson has been changed for, I think, a, a year or two now. Um, it's called Makanda, actually. So sometimes you just, 
you just find yourself using the old name and then <laughs> you just kind of remind yourself later that oh no actually that's not the name thank you so much for joining us and you know Satrix has got this this new product the inclusion and diversity ETF which on the face of it's really interesting and and the more i read it it became more interesting and then there were a couple of things that kind of struck me as being a little bit unusual or or, or jumped out at me uh, step 1 in this dance is that you have a JSC universe to choose from and i'm guessing that that is also probably your biggest limitation would that be would that be a fair statement in trying to put together a new product that you know the JSC has shrunk a lot. Is that a challenge in, in your world? That, that is correct. I mean, um, f- looking at this from a South African market's point of view is that um, if you're looking at only holding South African companies and the JSC uh, over, the, over the years has shrunk from over 400 um, companies listed to probably about 330. Um, and, and it's going to continue. I mean, <laughs> you've got corporate actions happening um, Standard Bank um, taking on on uh, the rest of Liberty, so that that universe is shrinking. So that's where you actually start, and um, and then you're faced with the skewness of our markets as well, where twenty percent of the market is relying on one stock. Um, so th- those those are the kind of challenges that you also face when you are t- trying to create a, a, a new product. I think for the benefit of the, of the listeners here, maybe take us through at a very high level before we go into the details and, and you know how it works, why we think parts of it might not work. Uh, maybe just give us a quick run through what exactly is the Satrix Inclusion and Diversity ETF. We know it's SA stocks, but just take us through the high level overview of what this ETF actually entails. Sure. So um, I'll start it by saying that Satrix actually identified this this theme of inclusion and diversity back in 2016 as um, one that Satrix has a strong alignment um, with and, and in terms of the strategic purpose of Satrix over the last 20 years. Um, and the ETF actually offers investors um, an exposure to companies that both demonstrate and also promote diversity and inclusion. And um, so we needed a, a vigorous and also a proven process to actually objectively rank companies based on, on how these measure up when you're looking at diversity and inclusivity in the South African market. So what we did was we, we looked at Refinitiv, um, who, 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 has a very, who are very strong um, in this space, very, very, very strong capabilities. In fact, they have one of the largest ESG database in the world. Um, um, and also in 2018, together with BlackRock, they, they actually launched a product in this space, but on a global scale. So it, 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 it was a no-brainer to actually start working with them and produce this kind of index. So what we actually trying to do is this product has been in the making for years, and now we, we've reached a level where we, we thought that uh, we have the confidence to actually bring it to the market and make it uniquely South African product. Um, so from all of that, we're able to actually produce an ETF, which um, ranks uh, on, and holds top 30 companies in South Africa um, that demonstrate inclusion and diversity relative to any other JSE listed company. So the index actually, uh, this ETF tracks embraces a, a broader spectrum of diversity dimensions and goes further than other indices in this in this segment, which have have tended to focus more narrowly on aspects such as gender. So, I mean, there, if you're looking at inclusivity and diversity, you, you need ways to actually measure this in objectively. Um, so we've done that through um, 
Revenative uh, ESG database. So the way that they do it is they are using um, formulas and they're feeding about 25 metrics, um, which roll up into one of these four, four pillars. And the four pillars are diversity, the other one is inclusion, the other one is uh, people's development, and then the last one is news and controversies. And what's important about these pillars is that they define, um, using these 25 metrics, what an inclusive and diverse company would be according to these metrics. And then when you're looking at things like news and controversies, you're penalizing companies based on news and controversies only to a certain um, um, a subset on, on, on controversies such as diversity and opportunities, wages and works. So that enabled us to actually measure these companies and rank them into top 30. And then we have that company, I mean, those 30 companies in the index. Um, and then eventually how we do the, uh, the weighting is to actually use the free float market cap um, to create the, the, the total index. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to jump in here, Ghost. I mean, I think for a lot of the listeners who aren't familiar, so so Refinitiv, just from a branding perspective, a couple of years ago was actually the the old Thomson Reuters business. So, I mean, they, they've been in this data business for a long time. I, I agree with with CIA. I think globally they have come out as, as the market leaders in terms of a lot of this type of data in the ESG type of space. So, so well done, CIA, on having that kind of a partnership. I mean, in, in terms of... My question, if if I can just delve straight into it, you know, and and let's maybe start off at at one that doesn't even tie in directly to the ESG. I think we've got a lot of questions in the ESG space, specifically your four pillars and so forth. But you know, when you're looking at yours, I, I note that you you cap them at ten percent, and that's obviously to ensure that you don't have you know concentration risks in the portfolio. But maybe a quick one is why the decision to rather look at this from a a free float market cap basis rather than an equal weighted type of portfolio. Portfolio. If the selection criteria, if it's a negative screening and if it's based specifically on issues of inclusion and diversity, should that not really be one of the key dictates in either directing your allocation to the stocks from an asset allocation perspective? Or should you go agnostic to that and say it's an equal weighting based on whatever meets the negative screening? Uh, the reason I ask this is that it's almost a follow-on to that is the, the performance attribution. How do we really know, you know, that the performance of this particular index is attributable to your inclusion and diversity criteria rather than sector allocation, stock allocation? Uh, you know, obviously that, that large market cap bias may well have skewed the performance over the longer term. So those are some of the issues I'd like to maybe unpack. And I don't know if you want to you venture into that before we, we delve into your four pillars and some of that methodology as well. Sure. So in terms of the weighting, I mean, I think um, when you're trying to devise a, a strategy, there's there's a couple of ways that you can actually go about. And one way would be using a straight uh, straight up market cap um, weighting, or you take from a benchmark and try and do some sort of tracking error where you're using the scores and actually um, applying a, a factor to actually expose the companies based on whatever the, the, the score is. Or you can go ahead and go with the, the equal weighting way. Um, but the, now the issue sometimes that will come with an equal weighting as well is that um, in as much as um, the market cap weighting is, can, can come with size as well, the, the other side of that is also if you're doing equal weighting, you, you, you are also taking bets now also on sizes where you're looking at smaller companies in the universe and you, you are now suddenly up-weighting them um, and 
those smaller companies might not be scoring that much as well in the IND, but now they're suddenly um, creating this um, small size exposure as well in the in the in the index. Um, so I think the way we've created it is that we, we we still want to apply the market the free float market cap, but at the same time we want to cap that at ten percent, and then also on a sector level basis as well. We don't want any screeners in the sector level, so we also kept that at actually thirty percent. Um, to avoid any screeners there. I think that kind of addresses it. Again, you know, I, I, I'm not entirely convinced that a, ma- a market cap weighting uh, adequately translates into the, I guess, the, the underlying ethos of what I would look for if I were looking for an inclusion and diversity ETF. You know, I, I would certainly, I take your point in terms of you don't want to upweight the smaller guys, so maybe equal weighting is too blunt a tool. Uh, but, you know, I think in terms of, tying the performance of the index towards the actual underlying IND score, that's inclusion and diversity score for me, would be a much purer way of saying this index reflects the ethos of what we're trying to do. So that's, I mean, maybe it's just a difference of, of opinion, but that, that's kind of my view. Ghost, I don't know if you want to weigh in here in terms of, of some of that. You know, mate, you're the guy who buys the ETF, so I'm a single stock guy. We know this. No, I'm kidding. CEO will shoot me if I say that. Um, no, I mean, look, I have a bit of a propensity towards some of the smaller and mid-cap stocks because I find them quite interesting. So my gut would probably be that I would also not not hate it if it was more equal-weighted. But I, I, listening to both of you, I think there are really good arguments for and against. Um, and see, I guess this game is about balance, right? At the end of the day, putting together a financial product, you've got to balance a whole lot of different things. I mean, you made the point earlier about how you had to take a refinitive data set and and in a South African context, you've got to apply more than just diversity according to gender, for example, for reasons that all of us and anyone listening to this, unless you're overseas and you know nothing about the history of South Africa, we all know why this needs to happen. Um, And it's really interesting. And I must say, I commend you for doing something that is really a uniquely South African product and tries to square out, you know, something that is is unique to the problems we face, but also reflects the progress we've made, which, you know, all you have to do is look at the three of us on this video call and there's clearly uh, some progress has been made. And we we do, you know, Mosai in Canada, but we do live in a country that enjoys a lot of diversity and we celebrate that, which I think is brilliant. But I guess when you're balancing all of this, You know, there's the S in ESG, which is obviously where the focus of this fund is. And maybe if I may give one, I suppose, criticism, you know, when I read the fact sheet, there's definitely like ESG as the buzzword kind of coming through. And in this case, really, it's the S in ESG. And that's why something like Sassol, for example, jumped out at me. Because, I mean, let's face it, like Sassol's not going to win any ESG awards anytime soon if the E carries any importance because I mean I think one of their sites is the worst pollutant in the world if I'm not mistaken so I don't see I don't know if you've ever engaged with someone like Tracy Davies from Just Share but she certainly will have some choice views on the inclusion of something like Sassel uh, you know is that a, is that a fair statement is to say that obviously the focus here is on the S and 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 those who are looking for a true ESG product this is maybe not actually for them yeah so, 100%. So, um, I mean, inclusion and diversity is actually a subset of the, of the ESG. Um, and this is why we're saying that this, this, um, this is actually focusing more on the S. And this product does not actually, um, I can explicitly say that this does not explicitly consider the E and the G um, in the construction of, of this index. Um, while while Citrix actually um, supports um, the, the the whole notion of ESG, um, this product actually makes use of Refinitiv's ESG database, 
they actually source the 25 metrics that we are currently using um, to identify the companies that actually demonstrate the, 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 the high levels of IND in the workplace. Um, and and, and, and Refinitiv has over 150 research analysts um, looking at over 400 ESG data points. And through that, this product is, is actually an assessment and a construction of, of, of this index using a subset, or a, 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 um, sorry, a subset of that. And, and, and Centrix also at the same time, we do offer a number of funds for investors who, are, who actually choose to invest only in companies that rate highly on ESG through some of our global ETFs. I mean, Centrix actually, we actually launched um, two ESG enhanced ETFs quite recently. And that, that was the MSCI World and also the, the, the MSCI Emerging Market ESG um, ETFs. So see, I've got another question for you then on, on that front. And thank you for, and these are not easy questions and I appreciate you answering them. So one of the points that comes through strongly in the fact sheets is around news and control, like bad news and controversies essentially, and avoiding those sorts of, of companies. Now, obviously there's no EOH in here. There's no Steinoff in here. There's none of the, the real, you know, very bad history kind of companies. But the one that stuck out at me was Woolworths. So, you know, their good business journey, you don't have to walk through too many aisles to see that on the signs, but we've got some very good, very real and proven examples where their good business journey has been anything but good when it comes to small businesses. Um, yeah. And again, perhaps this comes back to, are the controversies specifically over diversity and inclusion, in which case I can't imagine there have been too many of those controversies that are, I'm sure bad stuff happens in boardrooms that we never get to hear about, but um, publicly I, I can't believe there's that many controversies. So is it is it related to inclusion or is it controversies overall? Because then the same question applies to British American Tobacco, which is also not a company that's low in controversy. I mean, ultimately their product, let's be blunt, slowly kills people. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's one of those things, it's a fact. So that's that's absolutely correct. If you are talking about the um, the news and controversies um, pertaining to this product, so um, I mean, out of the four pillars, that's one of them, and it's quite important because it helps us to actually filter out um, companies based on their news and controversies, but but only relating to diversity and opportunities, and also wages and working conditions. So that pillar is considered just only using that that's, that that sample of, of of news and controversies. So if you're looking at Refinitiv's data, I mean there are, there are around 23 controversy measures um, used by Refinitiv, um, and out of those 23, um, this index is only actually considering only those two, where we're looking at wages, conditions, diversity, and opportunities. Nothing outside that. So, so news on a company do not automatically actually disqualify it from the index, but the data on the news goes through a ranking process that takes it into consideration the size of the company as well. Because we, we all know that big companies tend to be more on the news than smaller companies. So the way that they, they actually do the ranking is also based on the, on the size of the company. But the data on the news actually goes through the ranking process and then takes into consideration the size of the company, the industry also where it's in, and the, and the type of controversy, which will be in this instance, only looking at the, the, the diversity and opportunities, wages and, 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 and working conditions. Um, and, and all recent controversies are also accounted for in the, in the last closed fiscal year. And, and the count of the controversies of each company is actually ranked according to, to its peers. 
So you're absolutely right when you're saying that only news and controversies pertaining to um, diversity and inclusion. I will never, ever, ever, ever forget seeing, it was when I was in corporate finance, it was some years ago, I won't say which company it was, but there was an advert in a leading financial publication from this particular listed company asking people to apply to be their next, and I quote, broad member, and then to make this advert for a female board member even more classy, they then used a picture of Caitlyn Jenner as like this tongue-in-cheek, not even sure what they were trying to say. It was a train wreck of an advert. I mean, it was it was shocking. I just you know, just you talking about controversies in the world of, of inclusion and diversity. I mean, that's the one I've seen in my life where I just you just shake your head and you wonder how. This got through a team of people. The fact that people can even think that's okay is the first problem. The fact that a whole team of people signed it off is even worse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I just had to share that story. Mo, you can say something intelligent now that I'm done uh, sharing yeah, so, my horror stories. <laughs> I, I, I want to rewind away from from terrible, con- controversial horror stories like that. And I mean, see, see, something interesting for me is that, you know, when I was looking through your fact sheet, first of all, the, the distinction between diversity and inclusion is very important. The reason I want to raise it is that it's it's an ideological and principle discussion that I think warrants highlighting anyways. I think your product highlighting this is, is fantastic for driving the social discourse. And I want to highlight that for the listeners is, is that effectively diversity is having a seat at the table, whereas inclusion is actually having an impact and being involved. Uh, it reminds me of, of the old saying of, you know, with, with what's the difference between being involved and committed? It's like bacon and eggs. The chicken is involved. The pig is committed. So I think that that critical distinction between inclusion and diversity is important. And I, I'd like to highlight that as, as something I like in terms of just where your marketing is and, and where your, your principles and ideology lies. Something I want to just, just touch on here, though, is quite often when we use negative screening in the ESG space specifically, there are two schools of thought uh, dominant globally. uh, And this would have impacted a whole bunch of indices that I'm sure you're familiar with is one is that you negative screen based on companies that either are or are not doing this. The other is you have a look through and say, which companies are actually making notable progress in terms of the metrics that we measure. Now, when it comes to your specific index, your specific uh, strategy, you know, what is your approach? And uh, the reason I highlight this is, is, as Ghost has said recently on the show with Tracy, uh, Tracy Davies, we looked at something like like an Exxon. Now, if you use a simple negative screen on, on, a X, on Exxon globally, you could say, you know, big polluter, it's old energy versus new energy, you exclude it. Uh, but some people would say, or oh, maybe Exxon's a bad example, maybe you'd look at something like a shell and you'd say, in its sector, it's doing a lot to become a global clean energy company. So that gets included, even though intuitively it's not something that should be fitting on a, on a, on a vanilla negative screen. What is the approach in this particular index? Uh, and what is your view on it, even just ideologically as well? No, I think in, in that sense, it, it, it does make sense because, I mean, from, from where we took this product with Refinitiv was that they were looking at it on a global scale. So when you're looking at a product on a global scale, you also have to you also have to look at what a particular industry actually um, feeds in terms of the metrics that you have. And also that also applies in South Africa. Um, for instance, one of one of the um, the metrics that um, I can I can talk to is there is an an HRC corporate equality index where they do um, um, surveys 
um, for the LGBTI community and see whether they're happy in a certain company, right? And most of that data would be coming from um, US-based companies, right? Um, now, if you are looking at a global scale and you go to another country, for instance, you don't have that data. It doesn't make sense to actually penalize the other, com the other companies in that where they don't actually have that, that, um, that, that, uh, that, um, that metric. So same as the other metrics here where you're looking at industries in South Africa, and um, you can see that in a particular in the industry, there's a, metrics, there's, a, there's a metric where there's not a lot of data available because that's one of the limits that you, you get when you're trying to construct a product is that, especially when it's a, it's a thematic um, investment opportunities that you need data to actually um, feed into your product. And sometimes companies actually don't make it to the index because they're not disclosing data. Um, so, out of those metrics that you're looking at, you need to look at each um, industry as well. And that's why on these metrics, we don't just go straight to a certain metric, a metric that is fit into the, into the, um, to the score and say, this is the number that we're looking at. We actually look at that number relative to the industry that maybe for instance, Woolies is against its peers and see where the mean and the maximum is and then actually get a standardized um, data on that. Otherwise, you end up with a product which is actually penalizing companies where they don't actually sometimes have to disclose data on a particular um, subject. But the more the data that comes in, the, uh, the, the better for such products. And that's the other aim for this, this, this kind of product is that we're kind of hoping that this spotlight will make other companies which do not have this data available, they're not disclosing any of this stuff, um, to actually, actually disclose and also have an opportunity to actually be part of such an index um, so that more conversations can actually start going forward because that's what's needed in, in currently. So see, it's really interesting the way you have to take this top-down approach and that's uh, that's why I do the show with Mo because he's also the top-down macro yeah. guy and I'm very much the, the bottom-up guy. So I've got one more question for you and I've saved my hardest one for last now that you're nicely warmed up. Um, obviously, I look at this as an investor who wants to make money, right? And so I had a look at the largest holdings in the funds and then I went and had a look at their three-year share price performance and I'm afraid it's not pretty. So if I go from the top, Absa minus 19, Sasol minus 57, I mean, we know what happened there. Bat minus 25, Vodacom has inched forward at 2.4, um, Nedbank's down 37. Over that same time period, the Aussie up 21. So if we back test this ETF product, it's, it's not going to give a pretty outcome over the last few years. And I guess my question is, as an investor, and I absolutely agree with all of the sentiment behind this thing, and I wouldn't be in South Africa if I didn't. You know, I would have left. And I love watching what's going on in this country. But yep. as an investor who wants to make money for little baby ghosts to go to varsity one day, uh, why would I put this in my portfolio? And how do you see it? You know, what is the, what is the prospect going forward of, of some of these constituents when their performance over the past three years has been pretty bad versus the index. I'm, I'm actually glad that you, you, you asked that question because um, <clears throat> I, I think it's very important to look at uh, an ETF such that um, it, it's actually a basket of shares. And so we, that actually helps with the diversification of the individual share performance in the portfolio. Um, and over the last while, the, the index that this ETF will be tracking has, has demonstrated strong performance actually against the broader market. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why I'm saying that. And, 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 and those metrics, 
we, we can't promise returns and also good past performance cannot guarantee good performance in the future, just like any other equity um, um, ETF. This product does deliver compelling ret returns over the long term while it faces uh, market volatility over the short term as well. Um, also, the strategy is not um, performance driven. So um, <clears throat> certainly the, the constituents which are held right now, we did not um, look at how they were performing previously. Um, and the companies selected based and the companies are based uh, are selected based just on that 20, on those 25 metrics that are measured by, by the IND. In fact, since, since the strategy is, is rebalancing twice a year, the constituents that you see right now um, were not necessarily high in the index um, and or even included in the index. Um, so if you're looking at the constituents right now, that will be the rebalance for when we, we did that in, in, in March. But if you're looking at the index in, in September, the stocks which are there are not really the same as what we currently have. So that's quite important in, in, in how the performance is. And then, and also if you look at the performance, when we we're doing the back testing, we actually did this from 2009 and the constituents in 2009 are totally different to what you have right now. Um, if I would tell you the numbers now, looking from, from 2009 up until now in, in June, 2021, since then, the, the index, when you're doing the back testing, actually did 13.05% per annum, while the, the actual broader market all share index did, did about 11.9. And also, if you're looking at, at a one year number since June last year, the index actually did 45%, while the all share did 25%. So, there, there, there is some performance. Um, attributed to the index, and 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 as an investor, I think there is an opportunity to actually do you 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 do have a, an opportunity to be in a fund that has a, a an equity risk profile, um, and you invested in a in a in a product where um, you want to invest in this product because of certain um, certain reasons, but at the same time, you also do have an opportunity to actually get the risk profile that you want over the long term. Yeah, I think you know, just just in the interest of time, yeah. Thanks, thanks for sharing that with us. You know, just just some, you, you're discussing numbers here. I mean, globally, I think you know the the fact that you know you you're looking at this based on principles rather than performance uh, is quite critical because I think if you look at the other empirical research, just from a macro perspective, you know, I saw some research that you know on an annualized basis, uh, when you look at ESG criteria, just in in aggregate. Uh, in terms of the alpha generated over kind of a, a normal benchmark market cap weighted type index, it's almost like an 80-20. It was there and thereabouts. So it was like 91 basis points versus 18 basis points on the annual alpha outperformance out that was attributable somewhat to security selection. And then the rest was the, the sector allocation that resulted in some of the skew. So I think, you know, in terms of that, you either believe that ESG is good for the world and makes good investment sense. And if you do that, then a product like this, a strategy like this would make sense to you, whether you decide to access that through a passive vehicle like your ETF, or if you decide to do it in a, in, in a much more active manner, I think depends on each individual investor. For me, what I'm certainly taking out of, of this discussion is, is, is like we indicated on the show, you know, I think the intent is very important. I think, you know, when you look at issues like inclusion and diversity, even here in Canada, they are massive, massive themes that are steering 
not just the discussion in terms of retail investors, which is what your ETF is effectively intended to, to really target, but it's actually starting to skew asset allocation from the large pension funds, from the institutional base. And I'm not just talking passive. I'm talking about active, very large allocators of hundreds of billions of dollars worth, worth of AUM. So on that basis, I think, you know, kudos to, to yourself and the Satrix team for, for tapping into what I think is a very rich ideological vein. You know, whether this ever becomes the core of someone's portfolio, uh, I, I think is almost less important. What's more important for me is that you're throwing on the table or on the agenda issues that progressively will push companies to do better that they will progressively push companies to disclose better. So the data that you're working with is much better. That will push companies to strive to be better in their actual implementation. And that for me is the real value add here. It's uh, the alpha that is generated is almost a byproduct of a much larger macro ideological discussion that has gathered so much steam globally. And it's very encouraging for me to see that start to filter through into the South African market, notwithstanding obviously the limitations of the fact that it remains a very tight concentrated type of a market. But yeah, I mean, just from my side as a, as a, as a closing comment, I think, you know, well done. I'm going to watch this very, very, uh, with a lot of interest. Uh, and, you know, I would urge our, our listeners that are interested in just from an ideological perspective to go and tap. And again, we can share your website at the end of this recording uh, to go and tap it and just familiarize yourself with what I think is a mega theme that should become central to most people's investment ideologies and strategies over the long term. Great. Um, that's exactly that uh, I was thinking as well. I mean, uh, one of the goals that we have for this fund is is use it as a catalyst for greater focus on inclusion and diversity among amongst the, the listed companies in South Africa. Um, also using it as a mechanism through which to actually celebrate those companies that are leading the way. So in fact, we, we, we've, we've already had queries from already um, from listed companies on where they sit in the rankings in South Africa and, then, and and what they actually need to do, which is which is quite the, the exciting bit of this of this product. And that's what we want to do with the product. So it's great. Absolutely. See, yeah, just to echo Mo's thoughts, I agree with all of that. Um, I suppose the only final piece of feedback I'd give is, is maybe one or two of those sentences in the fact sheet maybe need a little bit of love um, so that they don't uh, rile up guys like me who, who look at stuff like Woolworths and think, whoa, no controversies. I'm not sure about that. Um, <laughs> but I tell you what, it's a, it's a cool thing you guys are doing. And as you say, you know, past performance does not guarantee future performance. For what it's worth, I think some of the companies in the fund will do uh, very well over the next few years. Uh, cycles change. I don't need to tell you that. I don't need to tell Mo that. We all know that. And uh, people must make their own decision going into this thing. But ideologically, very interesting. And just wanted to thank you again. I think it says a lot that you were willing to come and have this conversation with us. I think a hell of a lot of people would have just gone away and taken the the you know the shots and, and moved on. But you did the exact opposite of that. I've really enjoyed this discussion with you. And um, I wish you all the best with this product. I, I hope it turns out to be a success. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me and thanks for the invite. It was a great chat. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.